just to tolerance from my little grandson that was trying to tie him down. Nobody's going to hear this message. <laughs> <laughs>
an entire Bible has one thing. It all points to Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at how Job relates to Jesus and how our lives relate to Job. Job is described as the wealthiest man of all the ancient Eastern countries. Not just a possession, but also a spirit. Very rare in the Bible that you have a wealthy man that is also a godly man. It's usually one or the other. Remember the, the wealthy man that Jesus went to and <coughs> said, just give all you have away and follow me. That's a wealthy man. But Job had both. He had wealth, but yet he lived for God. And he followed God's guidance and, and, the, and obeyed God. There came a day uh, all the angels gathered together before God. And Satan came to him. He came and joined him. God asked Satan, where have you come from? Keep in mind, whenever God asks a question, he already knows the answer. Remember him asking Adam, Adam, where are you? It wasn't that he didn't know where Adam Satan replied that he'd been trapped in the earth. God said to him, well, what about my man Job? Isn't he something? There's no other man like him. He's blameless, he's upright, he fears me, and he turns away from evil. Satan takes the bait. Always trying to get a soul from God. He poses a chance. Points out the fact that God has abundantly blessed Job. Given him all this wealth, given him this nice huge family. Then you take all of that away, and I declare that Job will curse your name. God accepts the challenge. He says, You can do anything you wish. Except to take Job's life. This brings us to our first point. God is sovereign over all. This means Satan cannot do anything without God's consent. This means man cannot do anything without God's consent. Why would God allow my loved 
neither I nor any human ever give you a complete answer to why God does what God does. If we had all the answers, we would be saved. We could be God. I can offer some comfort in the fact that God has always had a perfect plan for us. I will also add that God is eternal. He's an eternal God. And before Jesus, we were finite men and women. But because of Jesus, we get to live in eternity with God. So God places more value on our eternal life than he does on our worldly life. Doesn't mean he doesn't care about us here, but he sees the bigger picture. How often we whine and complain and worry about stuff that's wrong. How am I going to pay my bills? Oh, the doctor just said I have this disease. Oh, Lord. And we get so worried about something that it's finite, it's, it's going to end, it's just. Will pass. But we put more focus on that than we do on eternal life. In John 2 15 through 17, it says, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away, along with all its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. I once felt like I was on top of the world. I had a good paying job, a beautiful wife, a a daughter and another one on the way. <clears throat> but, and I'm on top of the world. But what I didn't have was God in my heart. Oh, I believed in God. But I wasn't following God's way. I wasn't letting him, I wasn't seeking his guidance, let alone obeying him. job because I kept calling in, especially at the end of well, she was my wife in the hospital and dealing with all that. A few months later my wife left me, took my daughter Felicia, took all of our possessions, and ended up in an empty house, no car. No utilities. All I had was a phone. I had a phone in my bag. I was angry. I was very, very mad. Even before that, back in 79, God allows this fool to find 
And the servants were consumed with them. And I alone escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants and the edge of the sword. And I alone, alone escaped. That ain't enough while he's still speaking. There came another and said, His sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck all four corners of the house. And it fell upon the young people, and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. You can guess that it was probably a tornado or a hurricane. He arose and he tore his robe, shaved his head, and fell to the ground and worshipped. Did you do that? And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall, shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. All this, Job did not sin, and he did not God charge God with wrong. He worshipped him. Shows you the character of Job. So take a moment. Just, just, just think about this. How how strong is your faith? Could you lose everything? Your home, your cars, your job, your bank account. All your children, could you lose all of that and still be able to bow down and worship God? Something to think about. How strong is our faith? Which brings us to our second point. Instead of cursing God, Job worships. But there is one that did even more than this. Jesus was sitting pretty up there in heaven in eternal paradise. He was asked to leave there and come to earth to be entering the womb of a virgin be born in a stable, not no luxury resort, in a stable. To hide in another country for sanctuary, sanctuary against those that wanted him dead. That's a baby. All while knowing that he would sacrifice this human body. He knew from the get-go this was his purpose. Come and sacrifice this human body as an atonement for the sins of the <coughs> I would dare say that Jesus willingly gave away more than what was taken from Satan doesn't get 
give up yet. He really, really wants to get win this challenge against God. I mean, this is the man that God claims is the greatest of all his men on earth, the most faithful man on earth. And man, Satan can just get that soul. He would have one of my God. He's been trying to get one of my God since the beginning of this series. Well, God repeats the same questions about Job. He goes on adding that still holds fast to his integrity. Although you incited me against him to destroy him without Never been born. 
He laments that he wished his mother's womb had been shut off and made barren. That's how much misery and agony that he was going through at this time. Maybe he doesn't curse God. Eliphaz speaks first to Job. He first accuses him of being impatient. He tells Job of all the people Job has lifted up and curbed in their time of weakness. But now that it falls on him, he becomes impatient. He accuses Job of letting others go hungry while he lived a lavish life. He accuses Job of letting others grow hungry while he lived a lavish life. He tells him he thinks Job must have sinned severely for God to bring this much punishment. He urges Job to confess and repent. None of this is true. How do we know it's not true? Because God said, He's upright and fears me and turns away from me. But Eliphaz doesn't know this. Eliphaz acts like he's got God all figured out. That he knows why God does what God does. But he couldn't be farther from the truth. Job justifies his complaints. He's confused, as we all would be. He doesn't know what he's done. That God would bring so much misery and agony to him. Remember, only God and Satan knows None of his friends know, his wife doesn't know. In Job 6, 8, 9, Job says, Oh, that I might have my request and that God would fulfill my hope that it would please God to crush me, that he would let loose his hand and cut me off. He's in so much agony, he just wants it to end, and if it means dying, he'll take it, God. This is how I felt at the end of my days in my addiction. I just didn't want to have to endure another day. But my misery was self-imposed misery. My misery comes from the sinful life that I was living. It comes from Job. He was living a godly life. But there's someone else who cried out to God, take this away. And this he was crying out before the misery even began. This was Jesus. Crying out to God, take away the suffering that he had to endure. Luke 22, 42, Jesus on the Mount of Olives prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, my will, not my will, but yours be done. He hasn't even suffered yet, but he knows the suffering that's coming. He doesn't want to face it. But he knows this 
angel strengthened Jesus that moment. And God, I believe, sent an angel to me that last day of my addiction. And I believe that angel grabbed me by the shirt collar and drugged me to that first AA meeting. I didn't want to go. I remember standing in that doorway with my knees flattering and thinking I needed to just turn around and around. But something was holding me there, and I believe it was an angel. But no angel came to Job. He said, God, I give you faith on earth. Do what you want. acknowledges that he is a mere mortal. How could I even look at God? 
let alone things like AIDS. In 933, he states, there is no arbiter between us who might lay his hand on both of us. Job claims his, continues to proclaim his innocence at the same time proclaiming God's omniscience and omnipotence. How much more grateful we should be that we do have an arbiter. That we have Jesus up there speaking on our behalf. Zophar speaks last of the three here. His three friends. And that he not only accuses, but condemns Job for being too high and mighty. He says, in essence, who are you that God should speak to you and disclose his wisdom to you? He tells Job that he deserves even more punishment than he had received. What lovely friends. What great friends, huh? As Andrew said, with friends like this, we need better. But why, uh, why did all three friends turn brings us to our fourth point. Fear. Fear turned his friends into the accusers. They're afraid that if they take Job's side, that God will bring the same punishment to them. Remember, they were fearful when they first saw him. They didn't even recognize him. Man, I better help him get get right with God. I better not take his side and give him sympathy because God might strike me too. In the last dialogue from Eliphaz, when he goodbye and says, is, is not your evil abundant? There is no end to your iniquities. The accuse of Job of turning his back on the needy? Not true. Not clothing those in need? True. Not giving food to the hungry, not true. Not giving water to those they thirst. None of this was true. But by attempting to find fault in Job, they thought they could justify themselves before God. The only problem is, is they had no proof to back up their accusations. Job let them know what miserable comforters they are. He's already in pure agony. He has to sit there and listen to his so-called friends put him down, condemn him, and assassinate his character. Wait, does this sound familiar? The same thing happened to Jesus. He traveled from town to town, 
accusers for fear that they would receive the same punishment that Jesus was receiving. That they would be arrested, that they would be punished and, and, and scourged. Even the twelve who followed him turned their backs, denied him, ran away for fear. The one that betrayed him, he ran away and had, had no faith to turn to Jesus for forgiveness. He ran away and ran to the tree and hung himself from the guilt and shame of what he had done to this man he had died for. And he didn't think of him as a son of God. He just thought of him as a good man. How could I have done this to
we will have an eternity of no suffering. So the suffering we have today, this too will pass. No matter how great it seems, our biggest problem as humans is we get tunnel vision and we can only see what's in front of us. That's why we need the faith and knowledge from a father that sees the whole picture. And trust in him and say, look how I am. So I can say 100% that Jesus Christ is truly the greater sufferer. We're not done with Job yet. Next week, we get to introduce another friend. And we also get to hear what God has to say. So I pray that you all come back next week. And listen to the conclusion of the book of Job about the greater suffering. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for this message, Lord. I've been guilty myself, Lord, of getting into my own self-pity and my woes. I have turned my back against you, Lord. I have been angry at you, Lord. But this message really helped comfort me, no matter what I'm going through today, Lord. I know that you use suffering as a good thing. You use suffering to bring us closer to you. You use suffering to allow us to spend eternity in heaven. You use that suffering on your own time. So let me be grateful. Let me glorify you for all of my trials and tribulations today. Let us 